And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. Here he is, Michael Savage. Colonel. How are you? Yes, sir. <laughs> there he is. There he is, my boss. Oh, no, uh, you don't have a boss. I do. My boss is the man upstairs. <laughs> okay, that, that I buy. <laughs> Colonel McGregor, always a pleasure. We'll get right down to brass tacks. The introduction, of course, you need no introduction. You're so well known. Savage. Home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989-898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. But I'm going to start off with Israel, because you say on a YouTube piece, Israel is losing everywhere. Eventually, they will lose support for the U.S. Could you please elaborate? Yeah, I think uh, let's let's step back for a moment and try and understand where the Israelis are at this point under Mr. Netanyahu's leadership. I call it the long march to the Yalu River. Uh, Mm. Now, let me go back to the Korean War. You'll recall that... uh, We, after defeating the North Koreans, decided to move north of the 38th parallel. Now, we didn't decide that. The United Nations did. The United Nations actually instructed MacArthur, who was the commander at the time, to advance all the way to the border with China. Truman, who was president, saw the defeat uh, of the North Koreans as total and assumed that the advance to the Yalu would not be interrupted and certainly not be stopped by intervening Chinese forces. Mm -hmm. Now, while all this was going on, the State Department at the time was in control of all the strategic intelligence. 
Marshall was the Secretary of State, and he knew, based on the intelligence that we were receiving, particularly from Pakistan and India, that the Chinese were prepared to intervene. We didn't take it seriously. That was never reported to Douglas MacArthur. We know the rest of the history. We moved to the Yalu, the warnings were ignored, and the outcome was disastrous for us. And we ended up conducting, under MacArthur's leadership, a very masterful retreat. We took very few casualties thanks to his conduct of the affair, but nevertheless, we were defeated and driven back. Now, when I talk about the Israelis and, and being on the long march to the Yalu, my concern is not today, but where things are headed. What are the trend lines? What What is the correlation of forces in the region vis-a-vis -vis Israel? For instance, if, if Mr. Netanyahu decided to call, call for a humanitarian pause, if you want to use that as opposed to a temporary ceasefire, if he did that today, then I think... Uh, this, this growing coalition of forces aimed at Israel's destruction would be slowed, maybe even stopped. Let, let me intervene because that's an important point. You're a military strategist who is highly revered in the military world for your strategy. Obviously, if you lead such a big tank battle, it's all strategy. So, no, seriously, if you uh, were advising Netanyahu, which, of course, you're not, and you suddenly encircled all of northern Gaza, which they've done, apparently. And they've got the Hamas, a good portion of the Hamas command structure. The, I mean, the real leaders are living in, in, in the high life in gutter or whatever you want to. So, right. OK, but the commanders of this slaughter are in that tunnel, according to what we're reading. W what would you do at this point to, to wipe them out before you, you took that pause? Well, that's tough because uh, this is not going to be a, a, a quick process. Mm -hmm. if, if I were going to pick uh, a historical analogy for what's happening in Gaza, I would have to go to the Polish uprising in Warsaw. Oh, my God. Between Wait, what, where the Palestinians are like the Jews in the ghetto? No, no. This is the Polish uprising, not the Jewish uprising. The Polish uprising was between 1 August 1944 and 1 October 1944. And this uprising was very significant. There were roughly 27,000 Polish soldiers. In other words, people in the Polish Home Army involved, along with thousands of supporting civilians. The Germans, of course, had just been attacked by the Soviets and were reeling in shock after the massive uh, army army group centers destruction by the Soviet advance. They then pulled together lots of Waffen-SS units, uh, many non-German units from the, from the Baltic, from white Russia, from Ukraine, as well as from other areas, along with some scratch army units, and then lots of artillery. And it took the Germans 60 days to defeat this uprising. How did they do it? Well, they did it very much as the way the Israelis are proceeding. They leveled Warsaw. And after they leveled Warsaw, they drove out the Polish civilian population. Literally, you can see photographs and film footage of tens of thousands of Poles marching in column out of Warsaw. Wait, as we're seeing in northern Gaza. Yes. Okay. And uh, ultimately, the Germans were successful. They were so successful in destroying the Poles that when the Soviets showed up and imposed their new communist regime, there were very few Poles to, to uh, oppose it. 
or resisted. Now, the point is, it took the Germans, who are a very professional force with lots of military power and lots of troops, 60 days to destroy Warsaw, kill tens of thousands of people, and drive out the Polish population. So if we're looking at Gaza right now, uh, the Israelis are controlling the periphery. They have not entered the mm. dense urban areas in the middle. They have split Gaza. In other words, if you drew a line through the middle of the Gaza Strip, they have split it in half. But the half that they're most concerned about, where most of the tunnels are, is in the north. And that is where they're focused at the moment. And they haven't yet moved into the dense urban terrain. Mm. I would argue it would take another month, maybe two more months to complete that task. Now, can you pump poison gas into the uh, <laughs> the tunnels and gas everyone? That's actually tougher than people think. Uh, it's not that easy. Can you use some fuel air explosive? This is a mix of uh, very highly explosive, explosive naphtha-derived fumes with oxygen and explosive. It essentially sucks all the oxygen out. The problem is that you can do that in some tunnels, but you're not going to reach them all. And, and also, this the, the, the hostages are in those tunnels. Oh, of course. I mean, That's you, a given. I mean, I think the Israelis have written off the hostages, by the way. Well, that may be the case. I, I pray that there's that that's not the case. And I think the Israelis are trying very hard to reach them. But your point is well taken. How do you do this without sacrificing the lives of the hostages? Well, I, uh, Colonel, what I see happening is no matter what the Israelis do, they've lost already. They lost the PR war. Uh, they lost when they were attacked, which is a whole separate story of how the hell did that happen with the most advanced surveillance system in the world? That makes no sense to me as a civilian whatsoever. And I am not alone. We discussed this last time. Something doesn't smell right to me. Uh, but countering that point, and I don't want to get distracted with how did it happen? Uh, there's a split in Israel, a deep split like there is in this country between liberal and conservative. And many of the liberals are in the military, in the intelligence services. They never would have let this happen purposely. So I don't believe that theory that it was allowed to happen purposely holds much water. Well, you know, obviously we don't know. And just as there was an investigation after the 73 war, I'm sure there will be one in Israel after this is over. However, my concern is what happens over the next 30 to 60 days. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. I have so many thoughts running through my head that I need to run by you. So I believe that the hostages will die. Most of them will die one way or the other. And then when Hamas does come out of those tunnels, which they will to save their at the right point, they'll, they'll emerge. Nobody wants to die. There's not that many martyrs amongst the leadership. They're going to hold up dead Jewish babies and say, or a grandmother, we kept this woman alive and the Israelis killed her. I suppose it's possible. I would keep in mind that large numbers of these so-called Hamas fighters are actually orphans. Uh, these are people whose families were killed in earlier events and were raised essentially as Hamas children soldiers. So they're like SS officers or worse. I would say more like Imperial Japanese soldiers. Okay. Fanatics fight to the end. Never give up. Now, how many are, are 
do they, you know, look, I don't know how many will fall into that category, but I just don't think we should dismiss the possibility that these people are willing to go that far. You know, again, the, the concern that I have is, first and foremost, strategically, what do we want to achieve? Okay. We want Israel to survive. Okay. All right. That's if yeah. we're Americans or we're Jews in Israel, that's our number one okay. objective. And you've, consult, you, you've consulted with the IDF. I want people to know that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, and I know some of the senior officers, and I think the world of them, and I know, I know exactly how they feel, and I know what they've been asked to do. But, but the other portion is I'm an American, and Americans want to preserve their power and influence in the world. Right. And that, in specific, is, relates to the Middle East, obviously. The question is, do we want a wider regional war? And Americans will say, no. Then you go to the Israelis. Do you want a wider regional war? And the Israelis will say, no, but that's not going to happen. Because we know the region, it will not happen. And that's where I have a problem with the Israeli thinking. And the problem is as follows. If you ask, what is the red line that has to be crossed for, let us say, the Turks to intervene in this? Oh, boy. The Turk will say, if they kill these people in Gaza and they overrun it, we will probably have to intervene because that's too much. We can't allow all of these people to be killed or driven out of their homes. Now, just beneath that, keep something else in mind. There's a lot of oil and natural gas offshore. Mm. Gaza is going to control some of that. If Gaza falls, the Israelis control it all. That's another issue. Is this a war for oil? Well, I, I'm just telling you, there's more than one consideration. Oh, now, this is a big story. Third, the Israelis and the Turks have done good business together over the years. As a group of people in the region, the Turks are, quote unquote, not anti-Semitic. They really aren't. They are anti-Israeli. Don't they have the fourth largest army in the world? Well, yeah, they do. But, but <laughs> I'm trying to get to a point here that in Turkey, people make a distinction between Jews and Israel. They all agree that Israel is a carbuncle on the rear end of the Middle East. Okay. Everybody in the in the whole Middle Eastern region, in the Islamic world, from Morocco to Indonesia, agrees with that. That's not going to change. But the Turks have always made it very clear that while they don't approve of it and they don't like it, they're willing to do business with Israel. So they really don't want to be drawn into the fight. However, they're looking at practical considerations. They have goals and objectives in the Eastern Mediterranean. They would like to control as much of the oil and gas in the Eastern Mediterranean as mm. possible. Mm -hmm. They want to be the leading force in the Sunni Muslim world. Mm. They want to have the final say on anything that occurs in the region. That's Mr. Erdogan's goal. Now, they don't want a war with the Israelis, but if Israel completes its total destruction of Gaza, drives out the population, killing large numbers of people, they've already killed over 10,000 uh, people living in Gaza, then the, then the Turks are, are in an uncomfortable position. And is that a confirmed number, 10,000? That's the Hamas number, isn't it? It's over 10,000. That's the way I say it. They say 10,500 and something. I say over 10,000. I don't know how many people have died with precision. I don't know how many Israeli soldiers have lost their lives. Right. With, and, and frankly, 
the Israelis aren't going to tell us. No. And uh, Hamas isn't going to tell us. I mean, we're not going to get the truth out of this. But no. I think it's say with some certainty, if you look at the photographs of the fil- filmography, they're leveling Gaza. But, Colonel, if they were to stop tomorrow, just as they've encircled the north of Gaza and don't go in, you know, the infantry doesn't go in. What happened? How did they've lost then? Have they lost the battle? Well, from the standpoint of Mr. Netanyahu, it's a loss. No, forget him. I, I don't care for him personally. And I, I, I blame him anyway, irrespective of whether this was done on purpose or not. It happened under his watch. Therefore, he's responsible. I said that from the beginning. I didn't make many friends on the right saying it because he's the hero of the right. But I tend to go where I think the truth lies. Forget him. Does Israel lose strategically if they were to stop tomorrow? I would argue no, uh, because that would that would halt the uh, emergence of this region-wide mm. Islamic coalition. Because the truth of the matter is, just as I explained the Turkish position, mm-hmm. it's also true for the Saudis, the Emirates, for Jordan, and Egypt. Uh-huh. Even, you know, the, the sad part is that the Israelis have have this very hostile relationship with Assad, but Assad and Erdogan hate each other. Uh-huh. If you put the two in the room and gave each one a knife, they'd probably, probably try to kill each other. However, when it comes to Israel, if this drags on, Erdogan and Assad will be allied. Does that, mm. does that make sense? I get it. But- and that's the kind of alliance that you don't want. And I'm, I've always been concerned from the beginning that this would, this would steamroll, or what's the right word? Uh, it would simply become so great that various entities in the region that historically have not cooperated will cooperate. Now, you saw the Iranian foreign minister in Ankara last week. Mm-hmm. He met with the Turkish foreign minister and, and amidst great fanfare, by the way. And then, of course... He was ushered in to talk directly to Mr. Erdogan. Now, we should understand that Iran and Turkey are historical rivals for dominance in the region. They're not friends. They're not interested in killing off each other, but they certainly aren't friends. Now, all of a sudden, we have open, direct coordination, cooperation between the two most powerful Muslim states in the region. So we drove them together the same way Zelensky drove Russia and Iran together. Well, I think I think you can make that argument. Uh, and to me, this is all very ominous. And if we had a president in the White House. Yes. And I don't think we do. No, neither do I. You know, and if you look at someone like Blinken, every time I see Blinken with Netanyahu, uh, I think he's shuddering in the corner in fear that Netanyahu is going to beat the daylights out of him. Yeah, it's sad to watch that guy. And, I mean, and, he's so out of his league. And Netanyahu has enormous power and influence over Washington because there's no debate about do we support Israel? That's not the issue. But a lot of people aren't looking carefully at, at the proverbial blank check that's being handed to him. So if you were in charge of policy, if you were in charge, if you were the president, you would demand that Israel cease now. I would have said from the beginning, you have 30 days. That's it. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. So the longer it goes on, the worse it gets for Israel and the U.S. 
in plain yes. English, right? That's my view. Yeah, that's my All view. Right. Well, it's a horrible situation to see 1,400 people butchered like this. Now we're reading stories that they were not told to do this. They were told only to capture a few uh, uh, soldiers. That's the latest report I read. And that they went crazy and, and butchered, slaughtered, raped, murdered, etc. Which do you believe? Uh, I think all of the above. <laughs> okay. I, uh, look, this is, this is a part of the world where those kinds of excesses are hardly out of, uh, out of the ordinary. You know, look at ISIS. Look at, look at any of these wars that have happened in that part of the world. Everything, everything horrible you can imagine has occurred. This is, this is not Western civilization. This is a different place entirely. I mean, look, if you go back to the Second World War and you look at the way the Germans behaved in the West versus the way they behaved in the Soviet Union, they're entirely different. Two different worlds, two different groups of people. They're, that's what you've got in the Middle East. It's, it's more like the Eastern Front. No quarter asked and no quarter given. And that's why all of these discussions about, well, we're talking to the Israelis and telling them that they have to be, they have to exercise discretion, be surgical. That's nonsense. Any Israeli soldier that goes into Gaza has two things on his mind. First, he wants to kill the enemy. And secondly, he wants to survive the encounter. Right. He's going to open up on anything that moves. Right. So the notion that we're all going to stand there and say, well, uh, well done, uh, Shimon. Uh, you you were discreet. You didn't shoot the people to the left, but you shot the ones on the right. That's absurd. That's mm-hmm. not physical. This is urban warfare, which is the worst imaginable form of warfare. Every soldier lives in terror of being killed as soon as he rounds the next corner. Didn't we have this in Ramadi? Was it Ramadi or Mosul? No, no Mosul. Mosul, Mosul. yeah. And, and and in Mosul, by the way, that's glad you pointed this out. We practically destroyed the whole city. Ah, uh-huh. gosh, Civilian, civilians as well. Well, whatever was there, I mean, no doubt civilians were told to get out. Okay. I mean, that's what everybody tells them. But they can't and go the anywhere. Only man, the only man that ever made the civilian population stay put in urban warfare is Stalin. Oh my God! He made most of the population that was alive in Stalingrad stay there. But even then, you know, there are more people living in Gaza right now than we're in Stalingrad. Oh, my God in heaven. It's so, you know, look, if you're an Israeli right now, you're, 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 you're torn. On the one hand, you say, I've got to restore deterrence. In other words, I've got to intimidate and frighten the region into understanding that if you attack Israel, this fate will befall you. Sounds reasonable, right? The problem is that's not the way the region's reacting. No. Fear no. is not being instilled in the region. The no. opposite is happening. No, I agree. It's going to get worse. And uh, to see Russia uh, now stepping up the game against Israel behind the scenes is a disaster, a total nightmare. Well, Dr. Savage, look, we talked previously, and one of the serious mistakes the Israelis made was to come out in favor of this corrupt regime in Ukraine instead of maintaining their alignment with Russia. Which they had going because there are so many Russians in Israel who emigrated. Well, not just that, but it made sense because the Russians accommodated them in Syria when the Israelis said, we will not tolerate any Iranian uh, concentrations of influence or power on the soil of Syria. The Russians said, fine. 
And the Israelis would tell them, we want to hit these and these targets. And the Russians told the Syrians, we're not going to protect you. Interesting. If you allow the Iranians to move into the country and set up. So they accommodated Israeli national security interests. They actually shared information and intelligence. Under Trump, correct? Yeah, yeah. And and all of a sudden, there's this 180-degree turn to support this regime in Kiev that Be- never had any chance of winning. No, because of Biden's blunders, again, because of these fools who have now driven by by demonizing Putin. You and I have discussed this many times by demonizing Putin and making it into something he is not. They made him worse than he actually is. Well, be that as it may, it was a serious (laughs) strategic mistake on the part of Israel to uh, essentially uh, spit in the soup of the Russians. So at this point. (laughs) So at this point, you know, the Israelis are really depending on only one friend, and that's the United States. For how long? We don't know. Well, our position is to give them whatever they want. It that's can't. a blank check. In other words, whatever you want, we'll give you. What's $3.5 And there's all sorts of things in there, by the way, that have nothing to do with the current conflict. That's another subject. But the point is that sometimes you can destroy your friend or you destroy your family member by subsidizing his or her habits. Amen. At this point, I think we are obligated as Israel's friend to intervene and say this this has gone on long enough. If it goes on any longer, even the United States Armed Forces deployed in support of you is not going to be able to stop what's coming from the entire region. What's with two carrier groups being sent to the Mediterranean? That's quite and a nuclear submarine shown to the world. What, what is that about? Well, that, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. You know, I've why, never seen it done. Why would you announce the presence of one of our nuclear-powered <laughs> submarines anywhere in the world? Why did they do it in their mind, in their silly little, what, they're threatening who? Who are they threatening, Iran? My, my inclination is to say uh, amateur hour, number one. Uh, number two, anybody who wants to intervene in this, we have 200 cruise missiles locked and loaded and ready to launch. Well, that sounds like a terrifying prospect, but lots of cruise missiles have been shot down. And uh, the air defenses that are in Syria and and Lebanon, the Russian air defenses that are there can shoot down a lot of those cruise missiles. So there's no guarantee that they will all get through. You mean from our submarine, for example, or our naval fleet? Both. I mean, you know, we have uh, on each carrier roughly 90 aircraft. Of the 90 aircraft, uh, 40 or 50 are fighter jets. The rest are supporting aircraft for protection of the carrier battle group, anti-submarine warfare. We are sending one carrier battle group down to the Indian Ocean, presumably to go into the Persian Gulf, which is the last place I, as a Navy, Navy Admiral, would ever put a carrier battle group. That's like sailing into a puddle. It's bad enough that you're even close to the eastern Mediterranean because everything the Russians have Mm. Well, as much of what the Turks and the Iranians have can reach those things in the Eastern Mediterranean or the Persian Gulf. Yes, they're sitting ducks. They're sitting ducks. You know, it's not a question of Egypt and Jordan and Saudi Arabia and the Emirates. Now, of course, Qatar funds Hamas. Qatar funds Mr. Erdogan in Turkey. But setting that aside for the moment, those states are not going to intervene militarily and make any difference. You can put the whole Egyptian army on the border with Gaza 
and Israel. Yes, it's a threat. There are lots of them, but the Israelis can organize the firepower to deal with them. It's just like Hezbollah right now is tying down about 70,000 Israeli troops up on the border with southern Lebanon. If Hezbollah intervenes, and thus far it really hasn't, it's sort of a slow boil, that's a big problem because there are 150,000 of which 60, 70,000 are really professional fighters or soldiers. And of course, you know, 140,000 rockets and missiles, of which probably 40 or 50,000 are precision guided of high quality. Good God. They could destroy Haifa. You know, that's clear. Uh, I don't know if they can destroy uh, Tel Aviv. That's a possibility. Nobody is probably going to shoot at Jerusalem. But the bottom line is that the population centers in Israel are going to be very hard to protect. Iron Dome is good. It's not perfect. Any air defense, any air and missile defense system can ultimately be overwhelmed. So, Colonel, you're arguing for an immediate truce in plain English before it yes. gets out of hand altogether. Yes. Right. In plain English, just yes. for the average listener, not to take it in any a- a- directions, because you and I can discuss this in the minutiae, the details. Savage. Home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. Let's move on to our dear friend Zelensky. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> Notice I bought a new wardrobe in his honor. I figured green is the latest color. Oh, God. <laughs> so I'm wearing I'm wearing green to make it look like I just came back from the battlefront. Uh, and my, my jacket is as clean as his undershirts are brand new because he's never been on the battlefront. Uh, but I was going to say you have more credibility than he does. This is frightening talking about um, uh, this uh, Ukraine situation, because, again, we're seeing the big lie. And yet this week, they just said they're making no advance. The commander of the Ukrainian army said we're losing. What's that? What's going on there? Actually, you said about 500,000 Ukrainians have been slaughtered in this in this meat grinder last time. 500,000. Yes. In fact, uh, there's also now finally in the in the media, the Western media, there are articles about the huge child trafficking operation run out of Ukraine. What? Yeah, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I can certainly send it to you. Uh, it was really, really upsetting. Anybody that uh, had any questions about the nature of the Ukrainian regime really needs to read this article. It was sent to me, incidentally, by a Russian who came across it because he said, I know that you've been trying to find evidence uh, for what is happening with regard to child uh uh, you know, trafficking, and this one is unmistakable. It's, well, who's tra- wait? The Ukrainians are trafficking what children? Ukrainian children? Yeah, uh, this is. Uh, you know, let me find it here real quick because it's worth your time. Oh, it, it is a woman whose name is Olena Zelenska. Her organization is now accused of child trafficking on a huge scale. Uh, it, it's uh, Zelens Olena uh, Zelenska. Uh, the foundation is led by her. She's the first lady of Ukraine is now facing severe scrutiny. Accusations have emerged that the organization under the guise of rescuing war, uh, war impacted children has been con- covertly involved in child trafficking with some uh, victims purportedly ending up in the hands of pedophiles across Europe. Oh, this is too much for me to take. So this is, uh, <sighs> this is something that needs uh, attention. And my assumption is that the reason this is coming out is because someone in the Biden White House has said, well, it's now time 
to become to start disengaging from Ukraine. So we just had a report that came out uh, where Zelensky himself admitted that everybody was stealing everything in sight. Now, yes. now we have a report on child trafficking. So it looks to me as though the Biden White House and probably the Hill as well, although not as much, has said, look, this is a dead end. The war is over. There's no possibility for a Ukrainian victory. The only thing the Ukrainians can now do is die in even greater numbers. And if Zelensky won't sue for peace, we'll just destroy his credibility until so that's what they're doing. So they want it. They want it over. They've written off the the, the, the war. I think so. So Russia takes the provinces or the region of Western Ukraine that they basically dominated militarily, largely Russian speaking anyway. Right. Up to the Dnieper River, more or less. Well, how much of that they want permanent control of is is uh, unknown to me. I mean, look, the, the point is this, and we discussed this, too, over several months. Whatever influence we might have had, whatever opportunity our government might have had gone. to fashion an agreement is gone. gone. Everything is in the hands now of Mr. Putin, the man they said they were going to dethrone. Well, he he was dead of cancer two years ago. He was in an insane asylum a year ago, according to the New York Times and other very reputable newspapers. Let's see. He had prostate cancer, brain cancer. He was insane. He was enfeebled. He was falling apart. None of it was true. Again, propaganda. And so he's very much in control. And uh, he's not going to be real happy when this is over because the Russians have lost close to what, 100,000 men. We don't know. You know, we don't know. I've heard estimates of 50,000 dead and 100,000 casualties. That's a lot of men. Oh, of course it is. You know, but just just keep in mind, 500,000 dead over the last less than two years is horrendous. There's no Ukraine anymore. It can never come back as a nation, can it? Never. Well, that's that's the great worry at this point. What happens? Where is the Ukrainian nation? Will anybody go back to it? It's a topic for another time. So we've covered Israel. We've covered Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky declared that now is not the time for elections. And we say we're spending these billions of dollars on this criminal because he's supporting democracy. We're supporting a democratic country called Ukraine when he just canceled elections. Listen, this is the same man that shut down the uh, Orthodox Church. Well, because he said it's a Trojan horse for the Russians. Well, I've heard that. I mean, you know, where's the religious freedom? Where's the freedom of speech? We all know that wars are when they're existential in quality, and that's what he's made this war for Ukraine. Uh, you you have to tighten your grip on power. Everybody knows that Lincoln did that. Lincoln, I almost said Lincoln came right at him before yeah. you finished the word. Lincoln however, was a fascist dictator, by the yeah. way. But <laughs> however, there are limits, especially to our tolerance. One would think that someone in Washington would care about what's right and what's wrong. Oh, come on. I think we know that's not true. So let's summarize, Colonel. Um, On Israel, you think they should immediately settle, work out some deal right now. Yes. With or without the hostages, correct? Well, no, the hostages have to figure prominently, but at least at this point, there's at least the probability that most of them are alive. So let's let's call a halt on condition that their release is at the top of the agenda. But the, 
in other words, you tell your you tell your negotiating partner, whoever that happens to be, if if they're going through gutter, uh, we're willing to hold discussions provided they address right up front uh, the hostages that are in in your custody. We want proof of life. We would prefer some release in good faith. Whatever you know, the Israelis know how to do this. They've they've negotiated these things before. Yeah, but they've given up a thousand terrorists for one Israeli soldier. Uh, well, sometimes uh, one Israeli life is worth a thousand. That's what I was told when I asked that question. Hmm. Okay, so Israel truce. Now we go to Zelensky truce again. Well, Zelensky needs to go away. Uh, I would argue that the best thing that Mr. Netanyahu could do for his country is to resign. So do I agree with you. He should do that. And I think Zelensky should do the same thing. Now, then we could potentially intervene to try and help and secure some sort of workable agreement. It's not going to be easy. You can't kill all the people that that Zelensky has killed. And I say he's killed them because he's fed them into this meat grinder when there was no reason, reason to do so. But we need we need new leadership and a fresh set of eyes. Are the outcomes going to be everything we want and our no. Israeli friends want? No. Certainly not. No. There's no absolute victory. There's no atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and, and total surrender. That's not happening. By the way, you mentioned uh, this uh, surprise attack by Hamas. Yes. I was last in Israel in 2020. They, My, my uh, host took me down to Gaza and showed me the Israeli security measures and the wall and everything else. And I've got to tell you, when I heard about this, I was in a state of complete and utter disbelief. Yeah, I don't I, understand it. I thought that they had established firm security measures and that something like this was an impossibility. They, You're talking about people that have studied not only the people living in Gaza and their opponents inside Gaza, but they had employed every conceivable technology available to monitor the very things that happened. Anything that moved, a fox moving across the border was detected by their surveillance system. And when I was there just before I arrived, about 20 minutes beforehand, an Israeli soldier, a reservist, standing, you know, performing his reserve duty in in a tower had been wounded by an Hamas sniper. But they knew exactly where the round came from. They had just about figured out who had actually shot him. Good God. And he, of course, was immediately evacuated, and action was almost instantaneous against the target. In other words, the source yeah. of fire. So my impression was that uh, whatever happened in Gaza, there would be no surprises. Well, I guess I was completely wrong. Savage. Home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. You know, I, I uh, they say life imitates art. So there's a show called Fauda on Netflix. Have you ever watched it? F-A-U-D-A. Yeah. That's it's right up your alley. You probably don't have the time nor the desire to watch television like I do. But I, I live in dreams a, a great deal. So Fauda is about an undercover Israeli unit that goes into Janine, goes into the West Bank. They speak Arabic fluently. They look like Arabs. They infiltrate and they knock out the enemy. The lead star, Leo Raz, is a former member of that unit, as are many of the men who play the actors. That's why it's astonishing when they get into a situation called Fauda, which is all hell breaks loose or they yell into their mics, Fauda, meaning it's gone to hell. Come bail us out. Get us out of here. Send in the choppers, whatever. Get us out of here. 
But they get into hand to hand combat and the hand motions are so fast, you know, that they're skilled martial artists using the techniques they learn in the military. The point is, it's so realistic. I rewatched season one, episode one, just the other night, and I was shocked at how it almost predicted what's going on in Gaza without the invasion. And huh. and it's sh- but but Colonel, the point I really wanted to make is the scenes break away to, to aerial shots of surveillance footage going over Janine or going over West Bank towns in that case where there's an, you know, an incident. Yes. Cameras are picking up movements in the alleyways. Yes, of course. And on the Gaza Strip, they've got cameras. You got satellites that could show a cigarette package. Exactly. And remember, the Israelis do have their own satellite. So what what happened here? This doesn't make sense to anybody. No. And again, as I said at the beginning, there was an investigation after the 1973 debacle. Yeah. And some people were held accountable, senior officers, and ultimately Golda Meir uh, was found guilty of negligence or failing to recognize the correct answer when shown. I mean, that does happen from time to time. People who say, well, we've seen this before. It's not a big deal. Uh, that's a possibility, but it does seem very odd. I think the key thing for everybody in the United States to understand is that the Middle East today is very different from what it was in 1973. Moshe Dayan is dead. The gap, the gap that existed between Israeli capabilities yep. and their potential opponents is not as great as it once was. Right. And we don't have an army. I keep trying to explain this to people. Where's the U.S. Army? Well, what are we down to? 450,000? What kind of readiness does it does it maintain? It's strewn out across Poland, the Baltic, and down in Romania. Putin is not attacking Eastern Europe. That's a lot of nonsense. He never had any interest in do so. So now who are you going to send to fight if you have to fight in the Middle East? And I'm one of these people that says air power is nice, but air power is always sex without consequences. (laughs) Until you put ground forces in there, you don't have any real skin in the game. What do we do if that becomes necessary? We don't have anything to send. 2,000 Marines sitting aboard ship in the Eastern Mediterranean is a nice target, but those 2,000 Marines coming ashore aren't going to change anything. So we, you know, we got to wake up and understand that our armed forces are in are in ruins. I wish the American people would understand it. It didn't just happen, by the way. Look, no one dislikes this government as much as I do. Obama started the ball rolling with the purging of senior military officials. I, I would say that, but I would go back 30 years. It takes decades to screw it up. But look how prepared we are for a, a, a trans review. You're missing the big picture. If ever there was a competition amongst militaries of the world of which military could perform the best drag review, you know, this country would win. Yeah. I I mean, you're not looking at the big picture, Colonel. No, you got me there. (laughs) You know, pardon me for my absurd sense of humor, but sometimes it's all I've got left in these times that I do not sleep anymore. And remember, uh, while we while we are talking and while we've been sleeping and enjoying the high life here in America, who's coming into the country? We saw them in the streets the other day. Where did all these scarves get made up overnight? These these uh, Middle East and the ready-made signs. The Soros have print shops all over the country. 
Well, I, you know, I am always in a state of uh, disbelief that people look at this and they're shocked. And I say to them, well, when's the last time you looked at immigration? Who is coming into the United States? Mm. Are they settling? We yes. always used to talk about assimilation. No. Assimilation meant Americanization. No more. That's gone. And what do we got left in terms of our country? Where's our societal cohesion? How strong are we? I, you know, these are all issues that you've talked about long before I ever got into the game, and no one has listened. The well, fifth you, column, the fifth, the column is, fifth column is marching. We saw them in the streets, and the fourth estate long ago became the fifth column, which is what I wrote 20 years ago. So to me, this is an old story. But, you know, the chickens have come home to roost, so to speak. The only question is what happens now, and it's anyone's guess as to where this goes, which brings us right back to the beginning of our discussion. You want an immediate truce in the two wars that are ongoing that we, we got too much involved in Ukraine, Russia, uh, Israel, Hamas. You want it over with before it gets out of control, right? Both. Right. That's that's why I think if we'd add someone like, well, anybody, uh, Eisenhower, Nixon, nope. uh, you know, Reagan, I think they'd have said you got 30 days. Mm -hmm. Do as much damage as you can in 30 days and wrap this thing up beyond that. Uh, you're not going to achieve your your strategic goals. It'll make matters worse. worse. I don't think you need to be a, a genius to figure that one out. No, it's turned bad. As, as I said, Israel couldn't win after this disaster that occurred on the Netanyahu's watch. He lost no matter what he does. Israel will never recover from this situation. Never. I can give five different reasons. And I again, you don't have to be a political genius to see what's going on. Tourism, who's going to go to Israel now? and risk their lives walking in the streets of Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. Who's going to go there? Number two, most of the reserve troops, as I understand it, are 20s and 30-year-old people who are running most of the tech industry in Israel. They're going to look to get the hell out of there after this, a lot of them. They'd like to all move to L.A. if they could. Uh, so Israel is not going to be Israel anymore. America is not going to be America anymore. The only question is, when the hell does this end and who is in charge and I don't have an answer for who is in charge. Uh, we can speculate all we want, Obama and this one and that one and Victoria Newland. We know the whole story. Uh, <clears throat> but I heard you loud and clear, and I certainly respect your viewpoint. Your main thing is Israel is losing everywhere. Eventually, they will lose support from the United States. That's your main point. And um, was this attack by Hamas permitted by elements within the Netanyahu government? That's a question that may never be answered. And three, Zelensky, who has destroyed his own country, you think is going to be pu pushed out because the U.S. has basically turned. And NATO, they basically said enough is enough. Is that a good summary? I think so. And, and remember, NATO, these are just vassal states of the United States. The Europeans, we're going to watch all of these governments in Europe turn over in the next several months. The people that have been governing Europe for the last several decades are on their way out. You're going to see a new generation and everything is moving right in Europe. Austria, Germany, France, doesn't make any difference. The movement is distinctively to the right. But not here in America. They're moving to the left. Well, I don't know that America is moving anywhere. I mean, <laughs> I listen to everybody. Everybody's trying to tell me all the time. Well, you know, the, this, this was a big bellwether election we just had. I don't think it is. I think I think the biggest issue that I saw 
was this matter of abortion. Right. Which I it saw was, from the beginning as a disaster for the Republicans. When yeah, and I couldn't, more, yeah, I, couldn't figure out, I couldn't figure out, you know, look, we won the argument. We took abortion off the table at the national level. We returned the decision making to the states. What are we doing, Dr. Savage? What are we doing? This doesn't we don't need to fight this battle. Anymore. No, but they did it again and they lost again. Yeah. Colonel, any final words for the destiny of America? <laughs> That's a small oh, question. <laughs> you saved the easiest question for the end. OK, no, then we, won't, we won't push you on that one. No, I think we'll I think Americans who are Americans will prevail ultimately here at home. But we've got to understand that what's happening overseas cannot be allowed to dominate us here at home. We're missing everything that's going on here. We're busy fighting these battles overseas and our borders are open. People are pouring in. Criminality's on the rise. No yes. one's enforcing the law. Uh, we won't survive that. No. We'll survive what happens overseas. We will not survive those things. Well, on those final wonderful notes, if I've been getting three hours of sleep a night, I would expect it'll be an hour and a half a night after today's discussion. But I'm drinking more wine, as uh, Vito Corleone said to Michael after he was oh, yeah. shot, after he was shot down. I'm drinking more wine now, Michael. Uh, hey, your role in the next Godfather movie is absolutely wrapped up now. They'll have you on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will play uh, the uh, Jewish consigliere or something like that. Colonel hey, McGregor. listen, if he'd added Jewish consigliere, he'd have done better. <laughs> I wonder. Well, at least he'd be president for sure. That's right. Colonel, okay. thanks, ag thanks again. Hold down the fort because you're, you're the only one doing the greatest job I've seen. And the greatest job over and over again, wherever you appear. And you are everywhere, by the way. And I still think you should run for office, even though you don't want to. I know you don't want to. I know you don't. No, I'm not going to go on drugs either. You mean that's tied to together? That's right. <laughs> You'd have to be on psychiatric drugs to run for office. Right I, a, a thousand percent have said it a hundred times. We should drug test all of our politicians once weekly. If you had Congress peeing in a cup, You'd have no Congress after one month. Uh, well, we're, that's just the tip of, a, of an iceberg, as you know. We could go into a lot of that. Congress is hardly the, the uh, camp of the saints. <laughs> All right. right. Always an enlightening uh, experience. Let's not say pleasure. <laughs> okay. <John. laughs> Thank you, for Talk you. Talk to you again soon, I hope. I hope so, Colonel. Thanks for being with us on the Michael Savage Podcast. God bless. Savage. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, Sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage. <laughs>